What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here without a hat on today because <laughs> I'm here with Blues Royalty, my friend and yours, Grammy Award winning, one of the greatest of all times, my friend and yours, Mr. Bobby Rush. Bobby, thank you very much. Well, for thank you for having me on. Let me tell you, Joe, this was the biggest treat of my life. Oh, come on. In your category to call me. I mean, honestly, man, you know, when I was doing my record, when I won the Grammy on, uh, the, the song that you played on, man, let me tell you, I, I went, I said, someone asked me, said, well, who can play this part? I said, I know a guy can play it. The guy asked me the next day, he said, what about the guy can play it? I was afraid to call the name. I said, I'm sure who can play it. He said, who is it? I said, Joe Bottomasa. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm honored. And by, yeah. and by the way, and by the way, the, the record uh, is a porcupine meat, and I played on a song called Me, Myself, and I, and oh, you what? beat us out for the Grammy, by the way, which I loved. I didn't even go when I heard you were up for it. I was like, don't worry about it. He's got it. I'm not even I'm not even gonna spend the money on the ticket. I'll just gonna stay home. I'll watch my TV. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I I miss I would I would last few days, man, I've really been listening. I've been trying to copy some of your your sly stuff you have. Let me tell you something, honestly. You took the MO Jane, the, the muddy waters, and turned it upside down and made yourself a this way you slide, man, I'm telling you, man. It's, it's so it's so awesome. It's thank, awesome. Thank you. I'm very honored. And by the way, you know, I was reading, you were friends with Elmore James. You knew him. Yeah, I'm friends with him. Uh, and I met him in, we met, got good friends in 1951. Right. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I met him in 49, but I got good friends with him in 1951. Long story, I, I got friends with Elmore James. <laughs> but you know, it's like, it's the, you know, the Elmore James slide rip is probably the most copied you know, dust my broom. His version of dust my broom. You know, it's like you know that that's that's the that was kind of the the archetype for the Allman Brothers and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah. When you were when you were like around all those guys, you know, I mean, because you were friends with with like Turner and 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 little Walter. You know, because I, I I always think you know like when I think of Bobby Rush, I think of one of the greatest entertainers of the blues ever, one of the greatest harmonica players ever. Because when you play harmonica, it, it, there's something there's something so authentic and different about it. It, it. You're going, and then I read that you were hanging with Little Walter. I'm like, okay, well there, <laughs> you gotta kind of keep up with that guy, you know? Yeah, I mean, Little Walter, Little Walter was living on a street called Troy, having mm -hmm. lived at 1221 Troy. I live on the next street was Albany. I live 1223 Albany. So my back door, his back door. Each we come out our back door, I throw a rock and hit his window. Say, hey, wake up! Listen to this. Wow, 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 wow! And he, you hear, and he was a good speech too. He was a good player. But you hear that he had a way of uh, getting to the record company, playing with chess. And I hear the same lick that I gave him on some record with Muddy Water. Oh God, man! He was a, he was a great speech too. <laughs> but he was a good player. You got to find another place to practice because you know he's listening. Wow! <laughs> it was, it was all cool though. So, you know, one of the things that um, not a lot of people, I think, know about you is that you lived in Chicago for almost 50 years. Yeah, about eight years in Chicago. And yeah. you were born in the Deep South, but you moved to Chicago and lived there for, for a, a significant part of your life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most of my I lived in Chicago longer than I could ever live in a place else at my age and time. But how I got to Chicago, because of Elmo James and Little Walter and, and Howard Wolf, really. Howard Wolf wasn't there, but I met him in him and I ton of a good friend and so would I would, which, and so he said, well, Bobby Rush, you got to go to Chicago. 
I didn't have enough of money in 1949. I was working for the Rabbit Foot Show in 1949, myself and Elmo Jane. Right. So I didn't have enough money. The bus fell with $13 to go from Arkansas to Chicago. I didn't have $13, so I had $8. So I, I got a, a, a plane, I tried, not a plane, a bus, and went to Memphis, Tennessee. And I played with Rufus Thomas on Bill Street for 2 or $3 a day until I got enough money to go to East St. Louis where Alpha King was. When I got right. with Alpha King, he lived in Little Joy, Illinois. So right. in East St. Louis, I made enough money to get to Chicago. And that's wow. how I got to Chicago. When I got to Chicago, that was Bo Diddley, that was Muddy Waters, uh, that was Lightning Hopkins, that was Jimmy Reed, and all these guys that I said, God, I'm in heaven now, man. Come on, I'm in heaven. Was it, you know, was when you were living in, you know, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, was was it was it was there was there word being spread from Chicago? It's like like listen, if you if you want to play the blues, you got to come up here. I mean, was it? And when you got there, was it as good as you thought? Oh no, I got to tell you what it is, Joe. Uh, I got to tell you this. You know, I don't know whether you can see me or not because I made a loss. Did you, can y'all see me all green? Uh, yeah, I can see you. Yeah. Okay. When I went to Chicago, I was thinking in my heart, being a blues singer and a black blues singer, that if I get to Chicago and in Illinois, there'll be better opportunity for me as a black blues singer, a black blues player. But when I got to Chicago, there was a guy that called, uh, well, Elmo was there, uh, back and forward. Then uh, Sonny Boy Williamson was there. Uh, then I met J.B. Lenore. J.B. Lenore got me a job in the suburb of Chicago. I said, man, I'm in Chicago now. I don't have to drink out the black, black and white fountain anymore. I can go in some duel that I couldn't go in in the southern state. But now I went to Blue Island, Illinois. He got me a job where we had, we played for this white audience where we played behind a curtain every night where they want to hear our music, but didn't want to see our face right. in Illinois. I left the South looking for a better place where I could, uh, my opportunity would be better for me as a blues singer, as a black blues singer. But I found it was a, it was even worse than the southern state. So uh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, that didn't take too well to me. But I finally got over there, hump and started working downtown at the Bourbon Street, and finally got a job at the Playboy myself and a few other guys. I wanted one of the first black men who played the Playboy. At that time, I was playing on Rush Street West. All the sign was on the door, no color allowed, and I was okay. playing. So, so, uh, so I got just I was disappointed about some of the outlets and some of the opportunities I could have. I guess the best opportunity I could have, Joe, was I got to meet Muddy Water, Holly Wolf, Johnny Hooker, Smoker Hall, and all these famous guys in my little mind that I wanted to meet anyway. I got just to know them on a personal basis, and, and here I am today with all these things in my mind, and this way keep me going. You know that I, I used to I used to. Uh, Talked to BB King um, in the back of his bus, and he in and, and one of these shows we did was in Memphis at the Orpheum, and uh, I, I opened up for him years and years and years ago, and and he was telling me about how he always he would he would always stay at the Holiday Inn across from the Peabody because oh. they wouldn't let him in back in the day. That's why, right. and, and and he goes. If I if I wasn't good enough for them back then, I'm not good enough for them right now. And it's 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 amazing to to think about. And and it's not that long ago that that bullshit was was going on. It's not that long ago. And it's you, and it's 
You know, let me get, I'm, I want to tell you, when you, especially about Peabody, Peabody is, is a street that's, that's north of uh, Bill Street. I remember in 1952 or 53, uh, Rufa Thomas and I was walking, going over to Union Street, which is two blocks from over from the uh, Bill Street. When we got on back on uh, Peabody, the police harassed us and said, listen, uh, they used the N-words to get on back on Bill Street where you belong. We could go on Bill Street because at that time, Bill Street was pretty much uh, 99, 95% black people was on Bill Street at that time. Right. You know, and we had to get on Bill Street, get off of Peabody Street. We couldn't even socialize on it at all. Which, for people who who don't know Memphis, it's it's literally like around the corner. Yeah, it's right. It's right. It's just right. going to jump, as my daddy would say. You know. Yeah, and it's 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 amazing. I mean, how how was the scene when you when you started to ingratiate yourself into the Chicago blues scene? You know, um, there's a, I, I'm not sure if it's true or not. Um, you know, like Keith Richards tells a story about how Muddy Waters was, was painting the, the hallways and chess records. And, but you know, like the way yeah. I, I saw it was those guys were superstars and they, they were, they were the, they were the, they were the superstars that everybody else copied, you know, and, and you were part of that, you know, it's like, how important is the entertainment aspect of the music? Um, to you, you know, yeah. being to me little, one of the best entertainers. A little bit before I uh, respond to the entertainment part of it, I was a part of the chess and the ground guy was in it, but I didn't get a job at chess. I remember going to chess and I'm writing a book and I put this in my book. I went to chess uh, to get a job. Bo Dilly really invited me down and a guy right. called Mr. London invited me down. He was a friend of the two chess brothers. He said, come on down. I can get you a job at chess. Maybe get you recorded at Chef Record. When I went, I made a mistake. That was a Union two hundred eight and ten was joining Union. I said, "Well, God, O'Dillon and uh, a lot of the Mudwaters were there. Uh, Little Walter, Howlin' Wolf wasn't there, and our, uh, Jimmy Reed was there, all trying to get a job at Chess Record. And I made a mistake to pick up a little literature off the table. I said, well, "God." We're going to be good as black musicians. Now we're going to be represented by 10 and 208, which is a union. And I, uh, one of the brothers said, where, where did that boy get that information? He said, off your desk, Phil. And he said, threw it to me. He said, boy, what did that say? And I read it to him. I said, if the union going to merge, we're going to be good for us black musicians. He turned around to me, brother, said, we can't use that nigga because he can read. So I didn't get the job. That's amazing. It's like it's but it wasn't all sitting there. It was like laughing because I said something I shouldn't have said around there. That's 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 I shouldn't have read that, you know. But how do you, I mean, you know, like it's you know, it's does that affect like you going forward? I mean, like you know, like when you when you when you when you obviously yeah. deal with some setback yeah. like that, and you're like, I, I can't believe that just happened. How yeah, do you how do you, how do you respond? It affect me because I didn't think because I could read it that they would just throw me out the door. They were looking for someone who couldn't read the contracts or could, didn't understand the contracts or something like that. But uh, but then I went, but it was good for me this way because then I went and got me a job downtown and I started working for the club downtown. At that time, I, I got good, well, not good friend, I was friend with a guy called Kunch. He was a Chinese guy and he was working for 
Cesar Capone. And I didn't find out till later on, Cesar Capone was one of Al Capone's brothers. <laughs> right. So there was I started yeah. downtown. So when everybody saw Bobby Rich coming there, they said, oh, you, you don't mess with him. That's the only one of Capone boys. You know, so I got away with a lot of things because they thought I knew Al Capone, but I did not know. And I used that for my to my advantage. When I walk in, it's a hey, come that come to Al Capone boy. And I would go in and cut things. They would say, You got some money today? I said, Let me talk to my boss. They thought I was talking about the Capone. So they right. would let me I put in with everything. I could walk away with a lot of things, man, because they thought I knew the Al Capone. I did not know it. Honestly. That's, but but you didn't let anybody know. <laughs> yeah, but I use it. But if, anyway, that is one of them things. And so uh, to tell you, but but then I learned so much from the muddy water, the music, and the club setting, which was like juke joints, because that's all we knew. And working in Argo, uh, Illinois, and suburb of Chicago, downtown Chicago, south side of Chicago, west side of Chicago, man. And I finally landed a job at Walton's Corner, which is on Roosevelt. Uh, in California, on the west side of Chicago. Now, this place was considered better than the place Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and, and Little Walter and all them guys. Worked. This was like you have to be, you have to have a town if be dressed to come in this place. Well, I was working where Muddy Water wish he could work, right. and I got a place where I used to hire Muddy Water to do guests for me in 1951. I would pay Muddy Water $5.50 cents for a guest. Five fifty, I'll pay him a night. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was making thirteen dollars, and I paid my water five dollars fifty cents to be my special guest. It was very generous of you, by the way. That's very. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But but I can say now that at at, at my age, at age of seven now, I I had muddy water. I was trying to count up the other day. I think I, I think I had BB King to work on the show with me. I think it was six to one times. Six wow. to one. That I, and I don't think he knew that I had it, but two or three at a time, because I was always this businessman behind the behind the behind the ship of my own self to try to make people to try to get gigs. Man, I would have BB King and put myself on the show so I could be the opening act for BB King. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's funny. I, I was I remember watching that 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 film with that Martin Scorsese did, and you're on stage with BB King, and and you have this look with him. It's like you can't pull this king of the blue shit with me. I used to hire. <laughs> it all makes sense. Now it all makes sense. It's like you just like you can't pull the king of the blue shit with me. You know. <laughs> I, I, I didn't mean to. Show, I didn't mean to show that to the world. You picked it out. I didn't. I didn't mean to show that it side of it. It makes sense now. You know. One of the things. Um, tell me about. Uh, you know. You know, being a businessman, because, you know, you're you you were just just talking about, you know, like, you know, you, you know, you didn't get a contract because you could read it, you know. And one of the things it's like, you know, how important is it? I mean, this is for young people as well. I mean, like, you know, it's I, I always say it's the music business. You got to learn the second word, you know, because yeah. there's been a lot of great people that just trust the process and get ripped off their whole lives and have nothing to show for it. I mean, how, how you know. You know, how did you circumnavigate that all these years? Because you're dealing with club owners, you're dealing with promoters and contracts and record companies, and you seem to have done it all yourself. Well, I did it all myself, and I, and I always have been this kind of guy who was self-taught and believed in myself. And, and when you say I can't do a thing, then you, you're in trouble. 
because right. whatever you tell me I can't do, you're in trouble. Now, again, leading from that to why this was so important to me today. You notice why it was so important today to talk to you? I know I know a lot about you that you think I don't know about you. Right. Because I watch you as a young man got into this business. I know about some of the things that you do like like a Bobby Rush do. Right. You and your manager, you and your manager, how you control and do things. You probably don't think I know that. I, I'm, I'm a, honored that I'm honored that you even know who I am. I can, yeah, I can tell you that. Yeah. I'm just I'm just honored that you even know who I am. You're not a stranger to me, man. I know your music. You know, with the train whole bit. I know your song. I, I follow you, man, because I admire you what you have done with yourself as a guitar player, but mostly as a businessman. Thank you. As a, as a businessman, you know, and I do that myself because I'm my own manager. And then when I do have a manager, my manager, my friend, I have uh, Jeff DeLeo now, who's who came with me the last five years, who come to be my friend and remind you remind me of me, how I do what I do with my manager. Right. And that's good. That's good. You know, you know, I'm not trying to pull a cup off of you, how what you do and how you do your business. But I remind, admire you how you take your business. And that's what I did earlier. Not knowing what I was doing, just wanted to be in control of Bobby Rush. I wanted to cross over, but I didn't want to cross out. Because there's too many guys like myself, and I don't want to call names, who have crossed over, very known with a white audience, but they black men and black women, but the black people don't know who they are. Right. That's a, you know, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. And it's a, it's a good song lyric. You should write that down. I wanted to cross over, and I cross out. Yeah. It's, there's your new Grammy award-winning record right there. Yeah, I like that. I, I got you, man. I got you. Congratulations. Got you. By the way, congratulations I, on the nomination. Um, Rawer Than Raw, I was listening to it uh, this morning. I love your version of Hard Times. Absolutely. I mean, it's haunting. Absolutely haunting, man. It's like it's like dropping the needle, and you're just going, man, it's such a such a beautiful version. And, and you know, it's just, you know, you're singing better than ever. You're playing better than ever. I mean, it's like, what's it like, you know, going, I'm 87 years old and I'm, I'm, I'm as popular as I've ever been and successful as I've ever been and as good as I've ever been. I mean, talk about a late bloomer. Well, you know, I, I, I can't tell you where it come from. I, I guess because I'm, I come from a, my grandfather who had 32 children. He lived 108. My grandmother, 105. My dad was 97. And here I am hoping I can get me 105. And but I still feel good and I'm still learning, Joe. I'm still learning. Uh, and I feel enthused because I know a man when he enthused, that's hope. If a man can live a long time without water or food, but you can't live long without hope, I right. still have. And right. here I am. And I'm here to do all I can, Joe, why I can. Because I know will come a time I cannot do, but I won't regret what I did not do. That's right. my so I mean, so I just just to so, sorry, just to recap, your grandfather was 108. He 108, a, 108 and and 32 children, married twice, 18 kids by East East. He had 18, but he didn't know. Uh, but but 20, 21 of them lived to get over 100 years old. When I he passed, had, when he passed, my dad had 612 grandchildren and great grandkids at his funeral. That's a that I can't I can't even, I, so, that's <laughs> believable. And that's, a, that's a lot of cod pickers, man. You know, oh, farmer, farmer. <laughs> oh my god! But 
you know what 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 was the what was the idea about doing an acoustic album now well it's not new to me joe what 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 happened you know is you a writer like i am yeah what, what we do as musicians people don't know this ain't nothing new to me i do the same thing in my bathroom every day i was when i cut my record this way this way i write with my guitar my heart my bass yeah i'm a bass player and this is where i write so what happened with me I'm writing this stuff for another, for, for another day. And I got hundreds of songs that I already ready to go record when I bring the band in to record with me. But I put it down first like this. So these are songs that I already had in the can, not plan to put them out like this. Right. I, I just can go back in my catalog and get hundreds of songs that I've already set up to record for another direction. Right. And just pull them out, man. Right. You know? But, the, but, but how I choose the kind of songs on the CD because of, I want to kind of recognize people from Mississippi and guys from Mississippi like Howlin' Wolf and John Lee Hooker and all the guys from Mississippi and, and Hurston. And the reason I did the kind of song because I wanted, Joe, if you ever noticed that if a, if a blues man, especially a black blues man from, from Arkansas, if he go to California, he kind of adapt with California and what's going on in California. Right. If a guy from Texas, he can adapt, go to Chicago, he can adapt what in Chicago. But a Mississippi guy, he don't ever adapt. He just do him. When he old Miss Miles, you say, hey, that guy must be from Mississippi. He don't never change. Right. So I wanted, I wanted to do some guys from Mississippi who never change what you see is what you get. And never you change. Know, you, know, it's it, you know, it's it's you know, it's, it's funny. I always say like blues, be, you know, it's based on the same three chords. A one, a four, and a five. Whatever, wow. how you want to mix it up. Some like Johnny Hooker would play over the one. It right. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He would change on the ninth bar. I was on stage with him. Change on the ninth bar. Fine. On the team bar. <laughs> I just saw. I just saw. A, I just saw literally a, a, a video of John Lee Hooker playing at Montreux in like 1993. The band did not change together for eight minutes. There was, right. everybody was nobody knew where where, but it made sense. Yeah. And it's all, you know, it's all regional. You know, you hear, yeah. like you said, you hear the Chicago blues, you hear the Mississippi Delta, you hear, you know, and <clears throat> what do you think, you know, unfortunately, I was born in upstate New York. There's no upstate New York blues scene. I had to move out, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. how, how can I hear Utica in that, you know. <laughs> but but I, I, I was born, Joe, in a little place called Homer Hainesville, Louisiana. Right. But I left my hometown in 1947. That's when I went to Pine Bluff, Arkansas with my father, who was a preacher in the pastor church. Then later on in the early 50s, I moved to Chicago. But you know, <clears throat> since we're talking about the blues, Joe, somebody always asks me, Bobby Russ, why do you sing the blues? Is it because your woman left you? And I tell them, yes. That's one way you can have the blues. But right. you can also have the blues if they stay too long. <laughs> Let me let me kind of demonstrate to the public right. what it's about. <clears throat> Someone just stood up, little. 
Out of all the men, my woman could've left me, Bob. She left me for the garbage man. <laughs> No matter how bad you treated me, still can't get out my mind. No matter how bad you treated me, still can't get out my mind. Every time I see a goddess king, I think about him and goddess man all the time. I'm going to buy myself a garbage truck. They ever get no woman to come back home, Joe. I'm going to buy myself a garbage truck. And when my garbage can't get full, I'm going to take it and dump it way, way out in the woods. Blues <laughs> I want to buy a garbage truck right now. I don't know, man. It's like, don't do that, Joe. Don't buy the garbage truck. There's gonna be like a rush on garbage trucks in like the next like two weeks. You know, we're you, you know, know you, you interviewing me, but who did you grow up listen to as a guitar player? Who you who you listen to, Joe? All right, you know, I was eight years old. Um, I I had just gotten or I was about seven. And I just got I just had my first communion. And when in, in a Roman Catholic family, when you go have your first communion, there's a party. And what I didn't realize, you get a little envelope with a little bit of money in it. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my God, I have like 80 bucks. And I <laughs> sat in my front drawer and my father took me to Camelot Music in upstate New York. And I bought two records that day um, uh, upon his recommendation. I bought a record by Steve Morris. Uh, called the introduction, and I bought BB King live at the Regal, and I remember dropping the needle on BB King live at the Regal and hearing the introduction, ladies and gentlemen, the King of the Blues, BB King, da 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 you know, sold. I was sold for life, and I after that I discovered, you know, Eric Clapton, and I discovered um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, obviously, and then Jimi Hendrix. And then the journey was on, you know, it was just, it just, it's been, a, again, it's been a lifelong journey. And it, that started when I was four, I just picked up the guitar and I, I just liked it. You know, it's never been, it's never been a chore. I hope it's, I never, I hope it never becomes a chore. It's just this joy that you have. I mean, I see it. Well, just well, I, well, I got my, I got, I like so many guys, but my daddy was the first, as a preacher, my daddy was the first one who taught me anything about a guitar. My first cousin gave me a guitar when I was about seven, eight years old. Right. And I hit it in this bun. And when I hit it in the bun up under the hay, the sun got to the neck. You know, it was one wooden guitar. And the yeah. neck whopped on it, you know? Right. I'd take every two or three days, I would knock the neck of your whop. I would take it and put it in a horse trough where we feed the cow water and the whole bit. Yeah. And, it, and put it in that water, let it step for two or three hours. It'll stream back out. Right. One day, my daddy told me, said, boy, bring that guitar here, boy. And I didn't know he knew I had a guitar because I was hiding it from my father because my father was a preacher because I thought he wanted me to play the gospel. And I didn't want to play no gospel, but I wanted to play the blues. Yeah. And I said, I gave it to my daddy. And I, and I remember he, he had a little guitar in the hand. 
he tuned it up and he did a little song like he started to sing. I said, Dad, you can play? He said, oh, yeah, boy, I've been playing all my life. He's and I haven't heard that. Right. He tuned it up. He said, let me sing a song I used to sing to a little girl when I was a little older than you. I got real close to him, Joe. Right. So I thought he was going to sing about my mama. I used to sing, glory, glory, hallelujah, when I laid my burden down. Or something like that. Right. But he said, he said, my dad was just taking me lunch. She fell down and I saw something. I said, daddy, <laughs> my daddy being a preacher, talking about the girl fell down, he saw something. I said, daddy, sing it again. I want to tell my daddy, sing the part that tell me what he saw. He said, she fell down, she saw something. I'm going to sing it again. What I really want him to do is sing the next verse. Because I thought the next verse would tell me what he saw after she fell down. So I didn't know how to tell my dad that. He said, my dad was a My mother was in the kitchen cooking. She said, me don't sing that kind of song to that boy. But he kept playing. My dad was a She fell down I I said, daddy, daddy, how big was she? He said, oh, she was a fat boy, 350 pounds. I said, what she had on? He said, nothing but a dress. Now, in my little mind, 350-pound lady falling down with nothing on but a dress. Wow. Right. Now, my head is funny. I said, what a sight to see in my little mind. I said, say it again, then. I went to get to this part. Tell me what he saw. He said, my dad was By that time, my mother was walking up behind him. I was in the front of my dad. I could see my mom, but he couldn't see her. He said, me and my dad was shaking me. He said, daddy, daddy, here come mama. She fell down, and I kept running. So I don't know what the song would have been. <laughs> my, <Right>. mama, <laughs> my mama messed it up. But I imagine she, he really saw something. So those kind of things. I knew right then, at, at eight years old, I wanted to be a singer. And I knew I wanted to write a song that, that, that re, re, relate to me is what I knew about the country life, you know. And, yeah. I, and I think about song like this. <laughs> Let me sit down here 
I'm a young guy from the Prince and, and you and and I'm, I'm God. I'm a God. You know, I, I watch you. I must have watched you for two, three days trying to get that slide thing together that you, that you do. I mean, oh, come on. You know, so how much you can do with a slide anyway? But you know what I'm talking about. And you just took it and turned it upside down. I just, I just love that man. I just, you know, I, 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 when I place, I don't play slide much. I try to, I try to do, I try to practice more, but. I find I have fewer influences on the slide. You know what I mean? It's it's like Muddy was a big influence on the slide. Ry Cooter, and wow. and and that was it. So I just kind of like, oh, it, it goes here, and, and you kind of figure it out. I was reading. I mean, you you like so many guys play slide. Well, not so many. Few the guys that slide. You take a little piece of this, piece of that. Even in my music, I like Muddy Water. I like Louis Jordan. I like John Lee Hooker. I like a lot of guys in this business, man. When you hear my music, you hear a little a piece of this, a piece of that. You put them all together, you stood up, you got a Bobby Ray suit, <laughs> you know. You know, when you think about Prince, um, when I listen to Prince, I hear a lot of blues music, even though he was a pop star. I hear a lot of blues in him. Oh, he was a blues man. He was a blues man. He was. He really yeah. was. And he loved it. Like Jimmy Hendrix was a blues man. Yeah. Like my brain, he loves the blues, man. Yeah. Love how right. It's you know, it's 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 the DNA of all the music that we love. You know, yeah. I was I was reading um that you were the first blues artist to play in China. Yeah. <laughs> how 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 crazy was that gig? Just tell the folks a little bit about let me tell you a guy called me and said, Bobby Rush, we want you to represent the US blues man in China. I said, What they want me to do, they want representative from every genre of music across the world right. and want you to represent uh, U.S. and China. I said, they don't know another thing about me in China. They said, they don't have to, but I said, okay, I'll do it. I said, and they wouldn't out there, wasn't often very much money to do this. <clears throat> so I told myself, well, I'm a businessman. I said, I'll tell you what I do. <clears throat> I would do this free if I had access to my videos. Because <laughs> you do it free. I said, yeah, forget about the money. Let me have the excess so I can own all the videos. Now, they didn't know where I was coming from. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. I know you. I know what you <laughs> So I had to write to everything that I recorded, everything I did, all the footage of it belongs to me. So I went in on a, uh, got there on a Monday. I politically called up a couple of people that, that I know from the U.S. to get in touch with the newspaper. And a couple of newspapers met me there. About eight people met me at the airport. 
I would tell them who I was and who I, what I represent and what I do. I had my little harp and the guitar like I do now. And I got a few Chinese guys around the room, and I played a little for them, and they fell in love with me. And next right. day, I had about 18 or 20 people on a Tuesday. By Wednesday, I had 100 people, reporters. By Thursday, I must have had the whole country down that they advertised me. And by Thursday, I generated about 60,000 tickets sold because of Bobby Rush. 60,000 tickets sold at $100 a watt. Wow. <laughs> so now great. I'm just ready right for them, but I'm really doing it for myself. Because it's political. I'm, I'm trying to get my footage out. Follow me? Then when I did the shooting, got my footage together and got all that together. And then and a lot of things I can't talk about now politically got in the way of it. But I, but, I, but I own the footage of what I've done. That's so that's, that's worth a lot of money. That is worth a lot of money. That's very good. See, business, Bobby. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. No, you know, I don't know what I was doing. I was guessing. But, but I think it just would be worth something one day, you know. Exactly. You know, it's like, I mean, you, you're, you're, you, have, you own your own record company, Deep Rush. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a record, record company. And then I, you know, uh, it's been tough and rough. You know, as a businessman, how tough and rough it is. When you when you're self uh, employed and when you got people around you who need to get paid for doing what they do for you, and sometimes they you, you pay out your nose because they think you're rich because you your position that you hold and the way you right. act. Sometimes and sometimes you know because you may not know this, but sometimes when you get through paying your people around you, everybody make money but you. <laughs> everybody, everybody gets paid. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 finally, it's it's beginning to pay off for me, and it's done all right for me. I can't say uh, enough about how well it's been for me now. But I really suffered uh, through the years. It took me 83 years to get a Grammy, and, and part of it wasn't because I didn't have good records, uh, because I went in the political arena of it and didn't have the footworkers to do the things I need to do politically inside the business. Because once you get a good record, you know, Joe, now you got to let people know you have it. Right, get, you know, cause the best record hasn't been recorded yet, you know. Right. So yeah. that's what with the business side of it, you know. And I and I watch people like you, Joe. You know, I watch people like you. You know, that's uh, how I know. I won't talk about it now, but that's, that's how I know so much about you. You came, but well, I know about you, man. Nobody just, would book me. Nobody would book me. That was the thing. They started promoting our shows. Nobody would book me. I was like, all right, we'll do it ourselves. What are you gonna do? I mean, I'm gonna go home. You know. You're, you're good business man, and I. Time, I, I, I did you know, I went to the Blues Award in Memphis, I think it was 30, 39 times, maybe 40. <clears throat> and I paid my paid my way. I'm back every year going to the Blues Award because I don't think B.B. King would have came if I hadn't been there. The Diesel said when it came, I don't think Buddy Guy would have came if I wasn't there. Bobby Bland wouldn't have came if I wasn't there. A lot of the black guys wouldn't have came to this, to this uh, Blues Award if I wasn't there, showing that uh, it was all right to be there, right? Because, because the guys, because it was a, at that time it was the Handy Awards, which was a black guy, but politically they took the Handy Award out for the political reason. I don't want to get into that now, but 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 you just can't have no award under under black head and a black main name and don't have black uh, people who represented or be are winning no awards, you know? Because the blues is something coming from really come from the black men and women who did it. But sometimes they get less credit for what they do because uh, a few people like yourself 
who always give credit about where it's come from. And I appreciate you saying that, you know. And I, I appreciate where you stand uh, with the issues with people, not black, white issues, it's just with people in the whole, you know. And it's just good. And what everybody got to do. Yeah, what everybody got to do. My position is like, I, I'm just an interpreter of the music you invented. You know what I mean? I, I listen to things. I love stuff that I love rock and roll. I love prog rock. I love everything. And and I just interpret it and I try to entertain folks and give them a two hour escape, you know, 110 times a year. I'm good. You know what I mean? And that's what I do, too. You know, you know, you know, my first love of a song when I was in is a song called You Get the Hook and I Get the Pole, Babe. You get the hook, I get the pole, we go down to the crawdad hole. Hey, baby, my golly, man, when I heard that, I said, damn, what is, what, ooh. Right, right, exactly. Before yeah. we wrap up, I want to talk to you about something, and, and this is probably a really good plug for them, but I'm, I'm going to tell you that, th that the level of influence you've had on me. Every time I go to Memphis, I walk down, to Lansky's and buy, I buy a, I buy a coat, something to wear on stage. Cause I saw you shop there in the Martin Scorsese documentary. And I always said, you know what? Good enough for Elvis. Good enough for Bobby Rush. Good enough for me. So I always go down and buy a coat. I said, cause the first time I went in, I go, this is the place Bobby Rush came, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, I think that, I think they fit. They said, oh, he's in here all the time. I was yeah, like, well, yeah. may, maybe he is, maybe he's not. I don't know, but he was here, you know? So, so a lot of my stage, not this, but you know, a lot of my your influence. So they've been they've been by my side all all the while. Good folks. They're they're good folks, and and, and so are you. I, I first of all, I just can't I cannot believe that that um, that I, I I get this honor today to to interview, talk to you, listen to you play and sing. You're a master at what you do. You're one of the greatest of all times, and and it's always great to meet your heroes. And find out that they're amazingly cool and wonderful, you know, not only ladies and gentlemen. You're and you're a consummate gentleman, my friend. It's just it's inspiring. You're an inspiration to us all. That's all I can say. I knew I never knew that you knew about me. Come like on. I, you. <laughs> I guess we was we were sneakily uh admired each other and not not knowing, you know, because uh, when I got ready to do this uh record and want somebody to play on it, man, I reached out Coast uh, Jeff Talia, who's who's my manager. He's my best friend, also, and web wise and young and energy. Right. And this guy, you got to be around. He got to kind of hook this up uh, along with Scott Billiton, you know. And right. I just, uh, God, I just, hey man, you, 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 you're my career, my life, man. You just, well, you just blew me up, man. You know. Well, well, thank you. And you know, the first time I heard you is uh, credit where credits due, and I have. Uh, was was uh, it was it was XM Radio, and uh -huh. it was a, a gentleman who I, I believe he's passed on, um, Bill Wax, who Bill used Wax. To, he used he he used to program that 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 station. He, 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 he won the first one, won the first one, Bill Wax. He still got And and he, um, I had a show on um, at XM at the time. Or I had a show on Sirius before they merged, and then and then Sirius yeah. XM. But I had it in the car, and and. He would he would play you a lot, and I was like, "Who is this Bobby Rush? I must I must find out who this Bobby Rush is." And this was twenty five years, you know, twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, yeah. and and 
and it was it was like I was like once I fi- I was like this is like incredible and 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 it's it's like you know it it was like it's like opening up a door so so credit where credit's due bill wax actually you know i'm like i discovered you through through radio bill wax was one of the few guys who i get credit for giving me the opportunity to cross over when i said cross over to the white audience because i remember i remember back in 1963 64 muddy water myself went to uh went to uh, holler and they booed us both booed muddy water booed myself booed us because right. they were expecting some black guy to come from the U.S. with white socks on, playing old baby, but nothing wrong with that. But we muddy water were dressed and I was dressed, so they weren't looking for that kind of thing. I guess I would look like uh, had, had silver suits on and whatever. Right. They were looking for that kind of thing from a black man from, coming from Mississippi, you know, right. from the U.S. period. And they booed us, man. But since that time, I think about how things are revolved, and now we can't do no wrong with that. You know, yeah. either one, you know, if the mother was living today, he'd be the king of the, the overseas bit. I mean, but, uh, and here I am sitting in a position where I'm talking to you today, I feel like I'm on cloud nine, and then knowing B.B. King and Muddy Water and the Howler Wolf, all these guys that, that when I was young, I thought of a little of nothing. Because I remember B.B. King was coming to Chicago, and he asked me to come by 55th and State. I said, no, I can't come by tonight. I got to go by Muddy Water's birthday. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, Muddy Water's birthday. And Muddy Water was 29. Guys, you understand how long this has been ago? Muddy Water was 29 years old. Muddy is 29 years old having a birthday party at Western and Lake Street in Chicago. Muddy Water, 29. You know how young I am now. Right. And I forgot to go to his birthday party. By 10.30, my wife said, I thought you was going to uh, uh, Muddy's birthday party. I said, oh, it's 10.30. Oh, man, I jumped in my little clothes and ran over there. I have about 10 blocks to go. Got that Muddy while I was hanging out the window. He said, blood, you missed my party. We got the girls and everything upstairs. Come on around to the back door and come upstairs. So he I goes upstairs. He got about 10, 20 ladies up in staff, and they're upstairs. They got their dresses up. They sitting on the bar. They drinking beer and smoking reefer, whatever. Muddy, you know, muddy water. And man, they was up there partying. And the and old women. And I asked once, how old are you? She said, twenty six. Other said, I'm twenty nine. Other girl said, I'm thirty four. I sneaked out the back door and left them because they're too old. <laughs> thirty four years old. Man, oh man, I think about that today. I left Muddy Water because he's 29, the girls are 30 something years old. I left. Now, can't, oh man, I should be whooped when it's a big stick. <laughs> well, listen, you're like, uh, you know, I just, hey, I just come there to wish you a happy birthday. I, I gotta go. Right? Well, thank, thank you, man. Thank you. Now, well, this yeah. this has been, been one of the greatest interviews that I've done because, you know, you don't get that to do. Thing with with fellow musicians, with entertainers, you don't get a chance to do this often. Well, I'm, I'm on. with some some host or what have you. You follow me? Yeah. yeah. But not with a joke about us. Come on. Ah, I listen. I I don't I don't I, I try to tell people I'm not in, I don't invite people on here to 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 ask them the same questions everybody asks. I'm like it's it's you know it's because we both you know we're we're both musicians and and have been asked everything. 
Yeah. And don't and don't and don't ask me too much because Joe, I tell the truth. I tell the truth about well about most things. Right. Some of the things I don't tell the truth. But I wrote this song, but I wouldn't sleep with a fat woman no more. I lied about that joke. <laughs> I lied. That was a lie. That was a lie. Nevertheless, it was so good talking to you, man. I could talk forever with you, man. I know. Love to what you're doing, man. And I hope we see each other down the line somewhere down there. I just hope we can do something together, man. I just let's 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 do a song together, man. I, I would be. I would just. Let's, I would let's, love that. I, I would just love that. I I do whatever it takes to make this come come to pass. Hundred, it's a, it's done. I just got to try to keep up with you. Uh, okay, <laughs> I love you, man. Appreciate you. Love you too, Bobby. This has been another episode of Live at Nerdville. My guest has been Bobby Rush. What an honor! The one, the only, the world's greatest. What can I say? Thank you for watching. Until next time.